Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I am so happy to be joined by New York Times bestselling author, fitness instructor, confidence builder, and motivational speaker, Tunde Oyunane. Growing up, Tunde struggled with her own body image and self-esteem and has spoken openly about how it took her many years and hard work to get to a healthy place, both physically and mentally. While fitness offered Tunde a greater form of self-love, She eventually realized it was her true calling to motivate people to join her in becoming the best version of themselves. Tunde joins me now to talk all about her mental health journey, career, and so much more. Welcome, Tunde. It's so great to have you on the show today. Hey, girl. Hey, great to be here. So let's jump right into it. Tunde, you are known for being an amazing and a motivating fitness instructor, but some of our listeners may not know that you also struggled with body image and self-esteem while you were growing up. I was hoping you would tell us about what it was like growing up as a kid in Texas and how these insecurities shape the way you approach your mental health today. We're jumping right into things. (laughs) Yeah, so I am from Houston, Texas, but I'm first generation. My parents migrated here from Nigeria. I always say they came to this country with the hopes of the American dream. They wanted to create a life for their children full of opportunities that they didn't have. I think that anybody that's listening knows what it is to be an immigrant or the child of immigrants. And almost in many ways- I got my hand raised. I got my hand raised. I can relate. (laughs) <laughs> and no pun intended, but also like the weight that comes along with that. Yeah. That's unrelated to the topic, but the weight and the heaviness that comes along with that. And so, you know, if there's one thing that if anybody knows anything about Texans, we like to eat. And mm. with Nigerians, it's the same thing. So much yeah. of our culture is centered around food. And I remember growing up, my brothers were all like superstar athletes. They were football, like in Texas, football is a way of life. It's a rite of passage for young men. Yeah. So it was football and basketball. And my brothers, so my brothers played all the many sports. I tried out for every sport, never made the cut. I was very much Aww. a choir junkie. I know it's wild now, considering that my life is <laughs> revolves around being and active. Also, yeah. And then to lead people in movement. So that's yeah. a whole story. Which we will get into. <laughs> Which we will get into. And so, so much of my upbringing was centered around food, which can be great, but not also the movement aspect, that part. And so to your point, yeah, I was definitely heavier in my adolescence. I was picked on. I was made fun of. And, you know, kind of come back to your question of the mental health piece around that is I seemingly was so okay. Like (laughs) growing up with three brothers, for me, particularly, I had to gain a thick 
skin because my brothers teased me and made fun of me. My brothers beat Girl, me. Girl, you're basically telling my life story as well. I am the youngest. I've got two older brothers, so I know that life. <laughs> right, that life. So I had two older brothers and one younger brother. And so I was constantly picked on, abused in many ways, um, <laughs> and made fun of and all the things. And so that happened at home. And so when it happened outside of the home, I had already created like the protection around it. Like mm. I was like, you, whatever you say to me is not going to be worse than what I already heard this morning. And so right. <laughs> I think that if there's anything that that experience taught me and like coming out of that and coming into my shell, if you will, coming out of my shell to then go into the shell of who I am and what makes me up is just as an adult now, knowing that sometimes the people that seem the most okay are the Mm. ones who are silently suffering the loudest. The people that seem the most okay. Yes. And so what was that internal experience like? Did you find yourself comparing yourself to your friends at school? And also I'm curious what the relationship was also like with your parents in regards to your self-esteem and insecurities. Yeah, I mean, there was so much comparison. It was on so many different levels and for so many different reasons. Not only Mm. was I heavier and not the sports girl or like the rest of the crowd, I also grew up in a primarily white neighborhood. And so I really didn't look like anybody. Again, I'm raising my hand. (laughs) Right. I didn't look like anybody. My mother was light-skinned and my father was dark-skinned. So even at home, I didn't see a dark-skinned woman that looked like me. Yeah. I remember being little, seeing Naomi Campbell on TV for the first time and her being an example of dark skin beauty. I remember my mom was in the kitchen. She was cooking and I screamed. And so she runs into the living room and I said, look, and she's like, yes. And I was like, she's beautiful. She was like, yes, she's very beautiful. And I said, well, do you think that if she's beautiful, that I could be beautiful too? And so it was constantly comparing myself to the girls that when they walked, their ponytail swooshed back and forth Mm. and my hair stood still. Yeah. Comparing myself to even the very, very few Black girls that were at my school to see them with their light skin. When I was little, I thought that if I just had light skin, all of my problems would go away. If I just had (sighs) lighter skin, ooh, how easier and how happier my life would be. If I was just skinny, how easy and much happier my life would be. If I just looked like everybody else, how much easier and happier my life would be. And in terms of my parents, I mean, my parents did a really, really good job of making me feel seen, making me Mm. feel like the most beautiful and the smartest girl in the room. And I think the thing with that is it instilled, even though I didn't realize it at the time because I was in comparison mode, heavy comparison mode, in hindsight, it did instill so much of the confidence that lives within me now. Mm. Still having them as this soundboard who believed in me. I think about people that had similar upbringings to me where imposter syndrome was heavy and weighed on them every day. And Mm -hmm. I think of the people that didn't have parents who tried to support them or parents who tried to encourage them through it. And I look at where they are now within their experience and still battling that inner voice. And it's not to say that the inner voice doesn't exist still in me and not to say that still doesn't creep in from time to time. But I do think that the amount of time that my parents put into validating me and making me feel seen is part of what allows me 
to move so freely now. I say often, you know, when I started losing the weight, it took so many years for me to see it, one, because I still saw the girl that I lived with for so many years. She's the only person I saw in the mirror, one. Right. And then two, it took time even after I lost the weight to acknowledge. I told myself, wow, when I finally saw the result of the work that I was putting in, uh-huh. I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, everybody's so nice to me now. I have so many friends now. I was actually thinking that in the back of my mind that I wanted to bring up with you if you found people treating you differently because I think that's what a lot of women experience, right? Who lose weight. And then all of a sudden it's like, you look so good and you're so pretty. And I will speak from my own experience and I won't speak to anyone else's that I don't know. But from my experience, I found that, yes, I did have more friends and yes, the world did gravitate towards me. But I challenged the cause of that. I challenged that the cause of that was that I lost weight. I think that I spent so many years hiding myself. I didn't laugh loud because Mm. I felt like if I laughed, people would notice I was there. I didn't dance in public because if I danced, they would see me and then they would notice that I was there. And if they noticed that I was there, they would see my size. And so I did everything to hide myself, to shrink myself so people couldn't see me. And As I started to lose the weight, I started to unravel or remove this layer, these layers that I built on myself, and my confidence started to come through. And in that confidence, I started to allow people to see me, see how funny I am, see that Mm. I like to dance, see that I like to be the life of the party. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's the fact that I lost weight and then as a result of that, the world saying, oh, she belongs, or... If it was simply just a matter of me finally allowing people to see who I was. Yes, I had more friends because I was more outgoing. Yes, I had more friends because I allowed people in. Whereas prior to that, I don't know that I fully allowed people to gravitate towards me and see who I was. So Mm. that one's still up for debate. Wow. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about as well, like what finally inspired the decision to focus on your health and lose weight? In short, I'll say what started the catalyst of my journey, if you will. Hmm. I was supposed to be a bridesmaid in my aunt's wedding and the dress that all the girls were wearing, the designer did not make in my size. And for me, that was a low moment because it was a moment where I felt like I could no longer hide. Here I was thinking I was doing a really good job of pretending, pretending that people's digs at me, the jokes, pretending that none of that affected me, moving through life unbothered, hiding myself, not being overtly present or loud so that people wouldn't see me. And then here I was, I was supposed to walk down an aisle and because the designer didn't make my dress in that size, I was going to have to wear a different dress. Mm. And so me, that would have been Target on your back. Yeah, that would have been me coming out. Yeah. That would have been me showing everyone that I look different as if they didn't already see that. And so that for me was my rock bottom. And my mother looked at me. I was, we were in the dressing room crying together. I fell down on the floor crying. And in the most encouraging way that she knew how in that moment, she looked at me and she said, Yetunde, if you want things to change then you have to make changes. I remember I was 15, about 15 years old then. And so 
I got a gym membership. And at that time, it was $39.99, which, baby, you couldn't tell me that wasn't a million dollars a month. Because I was I was like, that's a lot girl. for I was a teenager. to find that $39.99. I think I might have, like, started on, like, the $19.99 or $29.99 one where you couldn't go every day. Where you could go, like, a three times a week pass, okay. probably, is what okay. I did. And so I would walk about a mile every single day to the gym. I'd work out and then I'd walk a mile home and it became just a habit for me. I tell anyone that is even thinking about embarking on change, whether it's something to do with your body or not, you have to want to do it for you. You have to want to do it for you because if you were doing it for something or somebody else, once that thing or that person is removed out of the equation, you will fall back to your normal routine, your normal habit. You have to want to do it for you. That is what gets you, requires you to continue to show up day in and day out on the hardest days. Yeah. And so while I'd attempted at it a few times before, that was the first time that I really, 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 really wanted to do it for me. I wanted mm -hmm. to feel better in myself. And so I'm sure, you know, for a lot of people listening, they might associate this change with who they know you to be right now and the career path that you're on. But you were a makeup artist first. Yeah. Talk about that chapter of your life. And then what inspired you to move over to fitness? Well, I would also be remiss if I said when I started the journey, I started, I did seek out to lose weight. Like that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And then once I realized that that was controlling me, like my weight was controlling me, the scale, the power of that little piece of equipment, that thing. Mm. Yep. When I realized that the scale was the ruler, I decided to take control into my own hands. And I decided that I wanted to show up because I like feeling strong in my body. I wanted to show up because it impresses me that I'm fast. I wanted to show up because I am astonished with how much weight my body can lift. And so it became more about me loving the way that movement made me feel in my body and made my body feel mm -hmm. versus the control that I did not have on a number. Mm. And your next question was around cosmetics, makeup? Yeah, your life as a makeup artist, yeah. Yeah, I got into makeup because I enjoy gifting people with confidence. I enjoy making people feel good. Makeup was a vessel that allowed me to share my gift with the world. There was nothing like someone coming into, whether I was at the counter or house call or red carpet, like someone coming in with their shoulders hunched over, their hair in a bun, mm them looking down because they didn't feel great in their skin, right. spending 45 minutes to an hour with them. You see their shoulders roll back. You see that hair come out of the bun and then you see their spirit lifted. I really enjoyed making people feel good. I say that it was a vessel in which I was able to deliver my gift. Mm -hmm. Now, by virtue of what I do, being a Peloton instructor, a Nike athlete, and an author, I'm still able to deliver the gift. I know that my power yes. and my purpose is to lead. I love it. And it's one avenue that informed the next. I had no mm -hmm. idea. Like, I remember when I first got into fitness, I thought, you know, one day maybe I'll work at the YMCA. When I'm retired in my 70s, I get a cute little job <laughs> at the YMCA or work out with people. And yeah. 
I know now that that was imposter syndrome setting in. I told myself Mm. that this is something that I'll do later in life because I didn't want to face that challenge and that rejection soon, now. And so I said, you know what, that's something I'll do later when. Right. And when it happened, I say it meaning like when the metaphorical call happened that said, today, this is what you're supposed to do. It was at a time in my life where I started to question my role, my future, what I was doing. I had loved makeup for 15 years. I'd been passionate about my craft for 15 years. And I was in this space where I knew that my life was meant for more. I knew that I'd found my purpose and my gift, but I knew that it was supposed to be delivered in a different package. I took a cycling class one day that changed my entire life. After my very first, the very first time I cycled, I had what I call this blue light experience where I felt this wave of energy move through my body from my fingers to my toes. And it was like a whisper from one ear that moved out through the other ear. It was like a whisper came in and said, you're going to cycle for the rest of your life. Not only will you cycle, you will teach on a podium. Not only will you teach on a podium, this podium will allow you to impact the lives of millions of people. It all happened in a matter of five seconds. And I saw it so clearly. I always said that the beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And so anything can be next. Here I was, a makeup artist for 15 years, questioning like literally everything. I had dropped out of college with a semester left to move from Texas to LA to chase this fantasy of being a celebrity makeup artist. And here 15 years later, I was in this space where I was saying, I no longer want to do this. I had so much doubt and so much uncertainty. And then within a matter of a 45-minute cycling class and a five-second divine download of information, I realized where I needed to pivot and navigate to next. And oftentimes when I tell this story, people think it was just that simple. Like, okay, you in a moment, you saw half his vision and you knew what you were supposed to do. Hmm. But I'm human and imposter syndrome sat in. I went from being so certain and so sure that I'd seen something so Clearly, to days later, imposter syndrome telling me, Tunde, you don't look like, walk like, or talk like a fitness instructor. No one will find you motivating. The sound <laughs> of your voice is painful. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> that inner critic, that inner critic will get you. The inner critic. And like I said, you know, I had lived one way for so long yeah. that it was challenging for me to not see myself as my former self. And so imposter syndrome kept telling me that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't have the experience. It took, I'd say, a little over a year for me to move out of that space into a space where I finally auditioned and started working for a mom and pop shop in LA that Mm -hmm. ultimately led me into this chapter of my life. It's so incredible. And 
again, I can really relate to that because prior to working for myself and being able to host this podcast, I was working my dream job as an editor at a fashion magazine. It was all I ever imagined myself doing until I woke up one day and I was like, I don't really feel fulfilled by this anymore. Like, I really feel like my life is meant for bigger things. And it's it's really weird to reconcile with, right? When you well, okay. you have achieved that dream, but you're like, but why aren't I happy? This was the dream. This was the vision. But there's just that inner calling of, no, I'm still meant for more. And I think it's okay to have more than one dream job. And Chrissy, I think most people will stay there. I think that most people would rather face the heaviness of staying there than face the possibility of rejection. Totally. Or even question their ability to move themselves into what they see for themselves next. Most people would rather just face the discomfort and the sameness (laughs) of where they are than face the rejection of trying the next thing. Yeah, it's hard. It's scary. It's hard and it's scary. It's also why I share my story. It's why I share my story. It's one of those things where, you know, when you are moving through life and doing life, you think to myself, if I can do this, then anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. But for the listener on the outside end, they don't view you as the exception. Yeah. Whereas you might view yourself as the exception. But my hope is that Someone that is listening, that is going through doubt or uncertainty or questioning their current place, my goal is that they hear this experience, your experience, my experience, and see themselves in either of us and are willing to face the discomfort of trying to go for the next thing. Absolutely. I know. And like to add also another layer onto it, I left my full-time job six weeks before the pandemic hit. So that, that, that added a whole other layer of uncertainty onto it. But you know what? I remember feeling excited that I didn't know what was coming. Because I was like, I really had this idea that, well, there was nowhere for me to go but up. Like I was already Dang. starting from the ground floor. So yeah, mm, what a ride. That's a good perspective. But, you know, back to fitness and exercise, you know, obviously we know has a huge impact on mental health and how we see ourselves. So as an instructor, what impact do you see your class having on people's mindsets? Oh, I mean, my teammate, the head instructor at Peloton, Robin Arzon, she always says that movement is medicine. Movement is Mm. medicine. And so... I love that. Yeah, it's... a dose of endorphins, relief. I think that movement can be anything that you are willing to allow it to be. For me, oftentimes movement, it's healing, it's clarity, it's inner peace, it's time to myself, it's time to work out frustrations. I try to show up every single day as my real self with the thought that whatever energy I'm going to meet the people person on the other side with is the energy that at least one person needs in that day. To say that, you know, most days, (laughs) 99.98554 
percent of the time I show up in joy. Yeah. Because that's where I'm at. And then there are times when the world is heavy or mm-hmm. when I have personal matters of my own going on that I may show up with a softer energy or or more reserved energy or an energy that allows in space for just self-thought. Maybe I'm quieter on the bike that day. And it yeah. allows you to take a different position where you think, reflect, zone out, listen mm. to the music. Yeah. I trust that where I'm at is where I'm supposed to be. And my hope is that it meets that right person in that exactly, perfectly created for them right moment. Just one. I love that. So for anyone listening right now who may not have the means or time to join a class, what are some things you'd recommend people do from home to make movement a part of their routine? Baby, that Peloton app, download it. It is free for the first however many (laughs) days, baby. Outside of the Peloton app, which you can use anywhere, shameless plug, download on your phone, just move. The movement can be going outside for a walk. Movement can be dancing with your kids as you are cooking dinner. Movement can be throwing on some Beyonce while you are vacuuming that (laughs) house, baby. I think that when we get so like rigid in what movement has to look like for that day, Mm. we sometimes miss the point. You know, people will say, oh, I don't like running. Then don't run. Right. Find movement that you are joyful to show up and do again. Yeah. Maybe it's a salsa class. I think that movement is one of the many ways that the body can show its appreciation for life. And when I think of an appreciation for life, I think celebration. And so do things that bring joy to your body, to your life. Anybody that's listening to this that takes my cycling classes, specifically my HIT high-intensity classes, they're like, two-day, that does not bring joy to me. Um, (laughs) It won't bring joy to you in the moment. In the moment, right. But it will bring joy to the way you feel after, okay? Yes, 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 I know. I'm a fan of a nice morning walk or sometimes an afternoon walk. I work from home, so I'm like, sometimes I need to take a break from the computer screen and just get my butt outside. Yeah, stretch. Stretch is good movement. I know. I'm not good about stretching. I'm at the age where when I get up in the morning, I'm like, I think I need to start stretching every day. I was going to say, it really changes with age. I'm in my late it 30s. It really does. And Same. now it is, a, like, <laughs> your body will sit you down and be like, we're going to stretch, baby. Because I find that it is difficult for me to even get moving now yeah. without Oof. stretching. So, yes, stretch. Everyone stretch. Now, something that we all love about you is the way in which you inspire people to have confidence in themselves. You were recently quoted in Women's Health Magazine, in which I should add you're featured on the cover of the October issue, uh, saying my superpower is my ability to be vulnerable enough to allow people in so that they too can see that they are capable. I love that. Uh, What has the journey of sharing your vulnerabilities been like for you and your own mental health? Mm. Healing. Healing. I think like oftentimes the conversations that we love to have, the areas in which we love to support people, oftentimes that feels good because it's the support we need or we needed. And so Mm. that healing 
for us. Yeah. When I or you, any one of us, when we are vulnerable enough to share, to talk about the stuff, there's healing in that. And connection. And connection. And so every single day, I get to put on, you know, cycling shoes for my Metcons, my lifting shoes, and I get to share. I get to share and connect and heal with people. Oftentimes, the healing that I'm putting out, what I'm receiving as a result of it is even greater than what I'm mm. pushing out to everyone else. Yeah. And that's how you know it's good. Like it's good. Yeah. <laughs> when it forms a circle, the healing goes out hits one, loops around, and then slaps your ass back too. Like, <laughs> that's when you know it's good. That's that good stuff. Good stuff. Now, you're also an author. Your book, Speak, which has become a New York Times bestseller, <laughs> is in many ways a memoir, but it's also a guidebook on how to, as you say, live a life of purpose on purpose. Hmm. So can you tell us more about the book and the speak movement you've felt called to create for others? Yeah. Speak is an acronym, surrender, power, empathy, authenticity, and knowledge. When I sat down to write this book at the beginning of the pandemic, I looked at my life and I looked at those words, those words as elements and how those words continued to show up in my life and how they played a part in my life. Yeah. When I surrendered, it resulted in growth, growth that led to change. Like when I truly let go, surrender, mm -hmm. not sort of surrender. We still kind of try to control the outcome. When I fully <laughs> let go, it always resulted in change, change that led to growth. Yeah. Power, I speak to it being connected to your purpose. I think that a life well lived is a life that is led in purpose, on purpose, and of great purpose. And yeah. I speak to how I stepped into my purpose that ultimately drives my power, fuels my power. Yeah. Empathy is rooted in love, specifically self-love. Yes. If I don't love me, I don't even have the tools to love you. Truly. Authenticity is the intersection of truth and trust. And it's a word that's thrown around, and I think sorely understood. Authenticity mm. is the intersection of truth and trust. Preach. When you trust yourself enough to show up in your truth, mm. the whole truth, yep. and then live by that. And the knowledge is all of the stuff that's got us here, all the missteps, all the missed opportunities, all the things that went my way, all the things that didn't go my way. Mm -hmm. All of it has led me here. Yep. And I trust that it's leading me where I want to be. And so surrender, power, empathy, authenticity, and knowledge in terms of the movement. I said earlier that my hope is that people hear my story and they see maybe even just a tidbit, a tad, a touch of themselves within my story or my experience. Mm -hmm. And that allows them space, moves them into to the thought or the idea or maybe the chance or the belief that they can too. Can be whatever they want. Like they can too. Yeah. Now you've said when it comes to our bodies that the mind is the strongest muscle and that our mental health requires just as much exercise as our physical self does. So what routine do you have in place for yourself when it comes to your mental health? Oh my gosh. 
whether it's a life coach or sitting in stillness or like spending time with my dog. Like this morning, like oftentimes I sing to my dog in the morning. (laughs) This morning I did a double whammy. I did a cuddle session and then a meditation. And I think that the cuddle section actually was more healing for me this morning, (laughs) even in my meditation. But it's just like, I think it's maybe like the innocence of maybe an animal or maybe even a small child. Yeah. Preferably one that's not crying in the moment. But like just looking at, again, the innocence and just the purity. Mm -hmm. And something about that allows me to be so present and so inside of that moment knowing that my dog who is 15 years old, knowing that he won't be here forever, like taking two minutes in the morning to just be Be. in those two minutes as if nothing else existed, nothing else was necessary, nothing else needed my attention but those two minutes. And there's a calmness and a peace in that for me. So my dog, and sometimes I like to sit and I listen to classical music a lot. I listen, I do Afro beats. I do a lot of like deep house music. Yeah. But classical music music allows me to, because there's no words. It allows me to, rather than push thoughts out, it allows me to bring thoughts in. Uh And maybe there's something that I've been thinking about or trying to like figure out or noodling on. And oftentimes when I just sit and listen, I see things from a new perspective and then a new idea is able to set in. And so that gives me a lot of mental clarity and peace. And then just like a good girlfriend, Kiki, honey, like my girlfriends (laughs) that allow me to sit and say the same thing 20 different ways, expecting them, <laughs> expecting them to give me different advice. Typically that's like some relationship something Obviously. or something. Yeah. And it's like, we go 22 rounds and I've said the <laughs> same thing. And every time I say it, they give me new energy as if it's the first time we've had this discussion. And so, baby, a good girlfriend Kiki is healing for the soul. Community is everything. Yeah. Whether it's friends, family, your work family, love it. But yes, uh, a good rant session to the girls. Girl, random and raisins. <laughs> and then speaking of impacts on our mental health, let's talk a little bit about social media, which obviously can oftentimes be an unkind place as much as it can be an amazing place. So as someone with a huge platform, how do you approach using social media in your life? And do you have any tips to not let that negativity get to you? Oftentimes, I think that the source that you allow to be positive affirmation will also be the source that you allow disruption or negativity Yeah. Meaning if you look to something to bring in good, it is also the same place that you will allow to bring in the bad. Yeah. If you sit in front of your phone and you wait for the likes to come in because that fills you with dopamine and it makes your heart race and soar and it makes you feel good, it will also be the place that has access to bring you down. Yeah, for sure. And so you can't necessarily accept one fully without accepting the other fully. I look at social media as an opportunity to connect, yes. 
I look at social media as an opportunity to put out, almost like you put out art and then you allow the world to receive it and intercept it how they may. Mm-hmm. Then I challenge myself to then let the art or what I put out be in the hand of who is receiving it and not try to control the way in which they consume it. Right. Because you can't. Because you, you can't. Can. You can't. Or how they interpret it. Or how they interpret it, exactly. Or perceive you. Like, that's the thing. I think a lot of us, for a lot of us who exist online, right? It's like, we really want to control how we're perceived, but Mm -hmm. we have no control over that. There's no control over it. There's no, even when you have the best of intentions, (laughs) there is somebody who takes or misinterprets, rather, what you said. Yep. And so then there's a heaviness that can consume you because of that. And so my point is, I don't allow myself to sit and take in all the good because then I know that I have to equally sit and take in the bad. I appreciate the good. And there are times where when I really, really read something that someone said that I really sit and I think to myself or I say to them, hmm, I felt this or hmm, I heard this. Because those are the moments that I truly, truly, truly allow myself to take it in. I guess there's a protection that happens. You protect yourself from receiving all the good because you know that if you open yourself up to the good, you will then open yourself to up to seeing the bad because they all exist together. They all yeah. exist in the same place. And right. so there's no filter on that says uh, filter out negativity, filter out haters, filter out the people that don't get you. Right. And so to accept one You have to accept the other. And so I do put some control over what I am seeing and what I do consume. I don't allow myself to consume it all because if I consume it all, I have to consume it all. Yeah, absolutely. I know this is so random, but like there's an interview I saw once with Harry Styles where he was talking about how I think someone had given him the advice around you can't take what other people say seriously all the time. So it's like, whether it's praise or it's criticism, it's sort of like, you just kind of have to like filter it all out because there are always going to be people who are telling you, oh my God, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And then there's other people who are like, you're terrible. I don't like you. And it's like, either way, you just kind of have to like push it out. That always just makes me think about how we receive social media because it's the same thing. It's like, there's always going to be people who tell you you're amazing. And then there's going to be like those few that have a problem with you or don't like you. And oftentimes, yeah, you can let the like one negative comment sort of derail you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And also Harry Styles, sexy self. What is there not to like about (laughs) Harry Styles? Literally. Literally. (laughs) Glad we're on the same page about that. (laughs) Tunde, this has been such a wonderful conversation. But before we wrap up here, I was wondering if you had any parting advice or thoughts for our audience today. Oh, I would say trust that you are ready. Your time is happening right now. The adventure has already started. Don't allow another second to pass you by because life is already lifing (laughs) around you. So trust the process. Thank you so much for your wisdom and vulnerability today. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Great to be here. I want to give a huge thank you to Tunde for coming on the show today and sharing her story and mental health journey with us. And remember, 
we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.